God is good all the time. Amen. God is great all the time. We serve a great God. And we think about at Christmas when Jesus came the first time to redeem a people, to be born to die. But we were just singing about one day when he comes with shouts of acclamation, like we're like Jesus is coming again to consummate the work that he began 2000 years ago and restore all things and settle accounts and bring equity and justice into the universe, right all wrongs, redeem a people from every tribe, tongue and nation. And sometimes I'm just like, come, Lord Jesus, do it now. And we have that longing in our souls. And one thing I was struck with today is that our minds are a battlefield. And often the devil will come at the level of our thinking to trip us up, to discourage us, to get our thoughts running amok. And today we're going to be talking about the reality of the mind. Thinking and doing in the Christian life. And we've got real, incredible, soul-transforming help from this book that's God-inspired, God-breathed. So let's pray and ask the Lord to come upon our time. Heavenly Father God, Lord, we thank You for Your faithfulness. And we thank You for Your love. And we thank You for how great You are. We thank You that You you sent Your Son into the world on a divine rescue mission to save sinners. And the Apostle Paul would remind us that he was the chief of sinners. And, and Lord, I identify that with that so much. You save a wretch like us. And Lord, we thank You for Your faithfulness to redeem those who were once enemies. And Lord, we long to hear from You. Because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by a, a word of Christ. And we know that when, you, when your word speaks, you speak. And so we pray that as we anticipate coming to the word now, that you would come upon this time, that your spirit would bless it, that you would minister to our souls. I pray for words to the weary and, 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 and uplifting encouragement to those who are in despair and, and those, Lord, who are um, just feeling like we're losing the battle of the mind, that they would get encouragement and help. And Lord, we pray that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and that you would fill me with your words and that you would grant that I get out of the way and may your Spirit have a word for us today. In Jesus' precious, mighty, glorious name. Amen. What we put into our minds 
matters deeply. What, what we think about affects how we begin to live. What we give thought to, what we contemplate, what we meditate on, what we allow to kind of churn over in our mind's eye actually begins to take shape and come out in our living. And we all kind of know this to be true, that what we think about, we begin to be shaped by. And I'm always reminded, you know, with my kids when I think about this reality, because I introduced to them not that long ago one of my favorite cartoons growing up, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so for those of you who don't know, they're, they're actually mutant human type ninja turtles, you know, and doing kung fu and fighting bad guys and crime and all of that. And, and so before you know it, you know, I start seeing my kids like picking up broom handles and all of a sudden this is Donatello's bow staff, you know, you know going on and twirling around, smacking things with it. And, and, and picking up rubber swords, and all of a sudden I'm Leonardo, you know, like I'm going at it. And so my kids are, are, are thinking about Ninja Turtles, they're watching Ninja Turtles, and all of a sudden they start behaving like Ninja Turtles, you know, and you got to be careful. I got to kind of be on my guard. You never know when you're going to get hit by a broom handle. But we, we just know, right, that our thinking affects our doing. What we allow into our minds, what you, if you think about your mind like, a garden, right? What you allow into your mind. When we have gardens, we want to tend to the garden. We want to make sure we build fences around it. We're going to put nourishing things into the garden. We're going to put, you know, we, we want to have our peppers and we want to have our basil and we want to have all of our tomatoes going on. And we want to protect that, nurture it, feed it, water it, make sure it gets sunlight. But we also want to keep the critters out as well. And so in our passage, like Paul is going to help us tend to the garden of our mind. He's going to help us with this reality that our thinking shapes our doing. Our pondering shapes our practice. And we need to deeply think about this matter because it is soul transforming when you get a hold of it. When you begin to see like, the stuff coming in because you're just getting you're just getting bombarded with stuff in the media, in the world around you that is wanting to bring garbage into your mind. That is wanting you to dwell upon garbage, dwell upon things that are defiling, dwell upon things that are depressing, dwell upon things that are like ensnaring, alluring shaping your thinking and your ideology, and we desperately need to get a hold of the truth that thinking shapes who we are. You are what you think. And so God has a word for us in this passage. Look, right here in this passage, we're going to see just three quick truths in this short two verses. We're going to see that Paul wants us to ponder some things and he wants us to put some things into practice. And then he's got a glorious promise about the presence of God. Ponder certain things, put things into practice, and you got the peace of God coming 
into your life. And better than that, the God of peace will be with you. So let's look at that together. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and what you have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. That's just revolutionary truth like that will transform you and your life in, your, in, in the ways that you live. And some of it is just so simple, but yet when you have the clarity of Scripture just shining in, sometimes it just clears away the mental cobwebs that we have, the distortions, the, the perceptions that so often we get hit with. It's like the Word of God just comes in and it cleans us out. Because we want to we take out the junk and put in the Word of God. So let's look at these one at a time. Pondering. Paul is after the reality that we're pondering good things because our thinking matters. Look at verse 8 right here. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that word think has this idea of deep contemplation. It's, it's also kind of a mathematical term that gives the, the, the kind of accounting and that sort of idea that you, you're, you're counting and reckoning and, and you're thinking about things deeply because you don't want to miss anything. Or if we were to say it in another word, meditate on these things. Sometimes we lose the idea and the importance of meditation because we're like, ooh, this sounds a little Eastern, a little weird. But Eastern philosophy is to meditate on nothing. Get everything out of your head. Biblical meditation is to pour good things into your mind. Is to pour the, the Word of God, the truth of God's Word. It's, it's to pour what is true and what is honorable and what is just and what is pure and what is lovely and what's commendable and, and, and what's excellent and worthy of praise. Get that stuff into your head. Get that stuff into your heart. Get that stuff transforming your soul. And so often life is a meditation on the glum and the, the ugly and the, 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 the false things out there. He's like, get your heart around some truth. Get your heart around something that's honorable, not shameful. Get your heart around the beauty that I've put on display in the world. I've put on display in my word. And I've put on display, most of all, in my son, the beautiful one. That's what 
verse 8 is teaching us. It's helping us think about the reality that we've got to give space and time for deep thinking about glorious things. Is that your heart? Is that your desire? Are you creating space in your soul, space in your schedule for the meditation upon glorious things? And you watch how it'll shape things. You watch how it's not going to be Ninja Turtles. It's going to be glorying in Christ. And you watch the peace of God just rush into your soul when you begin to think about those things. And the peace of God is what we talked about a little bit last week where Paul says, pray, right? In verse 6, he's like, don't be anxious, but you pray about everything and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind like a sentry. And now in verse 9, look what he says. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. He steps up and says, hey, hey, not only can God's peace guard you, guard your thinking, guard your heart, but the God of peace will be with you. It's the promise of presence. And that's a powerful reality for us to think about. One of the things that this verse reminds me of is we often tell people what we care about most, right? My, my kids, you know, it's one of those things where they don't, you know, they're not real shy about telling me what's on their mind. You know, like, you know real quick what kids care about most because they tell you. <laughs> they, they tell you. I, Daddy, I, you know, I, I want to talk about the Mandalorian right now. You know, and then all of a sudden they're in Mandalorian outfits. And all of a sudden they're, they're talking about Star Wars and its universe and all of that. And so I'm getting like a whole, you know, uh, working out of the chronology of Star Wars for my kids because we what we care about, we talk about. What we care about, we give space to studying and thinking about and contemplating. And we see that in the life of our children. We see that in our own lives. And, and what we give, what we care about most is usually what we're talking to other people about. And Paul's like, I want you to get your heart around eight truths, eight virtues, eight glorious good things that I want to get into your head. I want to get into your soul. And he begins to show us things. And I want us to look at this and kind of reflect on it because it's helpful for us when we think about our own lives. We actually need to get more of Jesus, more of the Bible, more of the beauty and the goodness and the honorable things into our soul. And it's like you can sense when you've spent some deep, sweet time in God's word, you don't come out of that time like worried or frenetic or discouraged. You come feeling a sense of peace because you're spending time with God and God's talking to you in his word. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable 
in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let my meditation be acceptable in your sight, Lord. May that be the heart cry of every one of us. Lord, clean my thought life out and give me meditations that glorify you. So let's look at some of these things as we kind of come into the garden of our minds and we think about things that we want to cultivate and we want to nurture and we want to make sure that we plant in our minds. We want to think deeply about the things Paul lays out here. He says, finally, brothers, like this is his final set of exhortations to us. And he's like, I want you to think and contemplate and marinate on what is true. What Paul is commending is a deep meditation on the truth. That which corresponds to reality, that which is real, that which is authentic, that which is genuine. Paul wants our hearts wrapping around the truth and drinking in the truth and shunning falsehood and shunning lies. We want to be those who delight in the truth and hate and abhor falsehood. We don't want to be cultivating lies in the garden of our soul, in the garden of our thinking. But we want to have our hearts steeped in the truth of God's word and of the one who said he's the way and the truth and the life. It's no irony. It's not ironic. It's, it's the reality that Jesus said he was the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Jesus taught us that the Lord actually sanctifies us by what? By His truth. John chapter 17. So meditate and think deeply on true things. Caleb preached in 2 Timothy last week, and Paul says to Timothy in that very letter, he says to Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, I charge you, preach the word. He doesn't say, come with your opinions, come with your conjectures. No, he says, preach the word, get the truth before them. And I hope, I hope our hearts are just like, preach truth. Give me the book. Give me the word. Give me the truth. And as you're reading the Bible, that you're just thinking that. You're like, when I pick up this book, I am picking up the truth. And I'm getting it in my heart. And oh, how that would change our habits if we realized how desperate we were from the truth because we live in a world filled with lies and crooked politicians and, and, and things that distort reality in our perceptions and ruin our souls. And we need to drink from the fire hydrant of God's truth. One preacher put it this way, Christians should have an allergy to all lies and falsehoods, and they should love and cherish the truth. So what do we traffic in more? The truth of God's word or conspiracy theories and lies and conjectures? 
The Bible instructs us to test all things, hold fast to the truth. But not only do we meditate on what's true, we got to think about what's honorable. That's what he says in the next thing. He says, whatever's honorable, you meditate on that. You ponder that. Those things that are noble and dignified and glorious and honorable. And sometimes we have a little trouble getting after this whole honor, shame sort of idea. But in, in ancient culture, the idea of honor was a big deal. You don't want to bring shame on the family. You don't want to bring dishonor on the family. You don't want to bring ill repute on your family. And Paul is saying, no, you think of those things that are dignified and noble and good. And Jesus is said in Philippians to be the one who was in the form of man, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him. He was the humble one who came low. But oh, he was dignified. Oh, he was honorable. Oh, he was sinless. Oh, he was good. And God exalted him to the right hand. And any who come through the honorable one by faith in his death on a cross his resurrection from the dead, they will be exalted with Him. That's the promise of Christians. That's the promise to Christians that you can be saved from your sins. That though you deserve shame, though you deserve punishment, though you deserve the judgment and justice of God, you get grace and He makes you honored. Because you're in His Son. Oh, meditate on the honorable things, brothers and sisters. And taste the beauty of it. Don't spend time thinking about shameful things. Think about how this transforms our media habits, right? How much shameful stuff, how much debased stuff do we bring into our minds? Let your heart be upon the honorable. But Paul goes on. He doesn't stop with the true or the honorable, but he says, meditate on the just things. And that's the word for righteousness or to be made right. And you want to kind of visualize scales, right? Scales, you have one thing on one side. And in order to balance those scales out, you got to have the right amount of weight on the other side. And justice is the balancing of scales. And when you've got it true, that's right. That's what God did in Christ for you by Jesus dying on a wooden cross, bearing the wrath of God and the justice of God that anybody who believes on him should be justified and the scales are balanced. Do you want the scales to be balanced in your life before the throne of God? Justice matters to God. And when you meditate on what's just and righteous and according to God's holiness and His holy standard and precepts and putting away all injustice, putting away all inequity, be fair in your dealings with others. Balance the scales. When you think about our culture, 
We want to care about justice in our society. We want to care about the things we should be thinking deeply about what's going on in our Supreme Court uh, system right now. As they weigh in the balance of the court legal system, there's a higher balance. There's a higher justice that sees the reality of the unborn, that sees the truthfulness of human beings made dignified and holy and good. And the sanctity of life in the womb, there's justice that God cares about. And there's a reckoning for that. Think about just things. Have your heart wrapped around justice so you can see things clearly in the world around you. Meditate on what is just and right, brothers and sisters. But also... Think about whatever's pure. Think about what's, what's pure and holy and, and clean. Not what's defiled and dirty and filthy. Paul is commending a purity of heart. He's, he's saying what he said in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want a deeper walk with the Lord? Grow in purity of heart. Reflect on pure things. Think about glorious and pure things. And that might sound kind of like a little like esoteric and like in the spiritual ether, but you know what I'm talking about. Keep your mind and your heart pure and reflect on the one who makes us clean. Do you know how to get your soul clean? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? To cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Do you often think about purity and then realize you lack? I know I do. I know I, I, I think about the reality of purity, and I'm just so glad for the cross. I'm so glad that I can run to the Lord and confess my sins on a daily basis. And we're not talking about trying to like merit salvation. We're talking about coming to the throne of grace to receive the forgiveness and help on a daily basis. Restore your relationship with the Lord and make it right between you and the Father. Just as you would in any human relationship, that got defiled and you got to make right. So many of us want cleanness. So many of us want the purity. But if you are pure in heart, it's because you've come to the one who is pure. And he cleans you. So you're not discouraged and in the muck, in the mire all the time. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God without holiness. The author of Hebrews says no one will see the Lord. That's not my opinion. That's the Bible. That's God's word. Meditate on pure things. And guard your heart, guard your eyes, guard the eye gate. Guard your mental faculties. 
Think about what you watch and what you read and what you put into your mind that it might not defile but build up. That it might not distort and disfigure and bring filth but bring cleanliness. Do you see how practical this is? This is like, you know, when we get our hearts around it, it changes everything. Because you begin to think, man, I gotta, I gotta care for this garden. I gotta get this garden going on. I've gotta put the fences around the garden, and I've gotta till the land, and I've gotta get this in my soul. I gotta spread this all over my life. What area of my life do I not got this going on? Where do I need to apply it? Because I gotta meditate on what's true and what's honorable. And what's just and what's pure. And then he says, meditate on what's lovely. And that's the word we get beauty from. Meditate on what's beautiful. God is the one where all beauty comes from. So you ever wonder, like, where does the beauty come from? Beauty is one of the best arguments for the existence of God. Why is anything beautiful at all? Because he's the one where all the beauty comes from. He's the one that makes symphonies glorious. He's the one that makes the beauty of the Niagara Falls. He's the one who makes things beautiful and gives us the capacity to recognize beauty. And then he sent the beautiful one in to the world to take that which is ugly and dirty and make it beautiful once again the way God intended. Do you not know that that is what God did? We were made in His image. We were made beautiful. And sin got in the way. And sin distorted and disfigured and made things ugly. How many of y'all know like sin makes some stuff ugly. Sin makes things ugly in marriages. Sin makes things ugly in parenting dynamics. Sin makes things ugly at school. Sin makes things ugly at the workplace. But there's one who's beautiful who came to deal with all the ugliness in your soul and have you run to Him in faith. Have you come to the fountain of beauty and been made whole again. Nothing in this hand I bring simply to the cross I cling or, or what can wash away this sin or ugliness? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the beautiful one. Think on those things. Know that when you dwell on the beautiful one, or you stare at the beauty in the world, or you savor the glorious beauty of a hamburger that's juicy and luscious, has got the pickles and, and the, just the right bun, right? And, and that taste, when you first bite into it, and it's just like goodness shooting all through your mouth and sweet as it goes down. Do you know the one from whom all the beauty comes. He invites you to meditate on what is lovely, not what on what is ugly. Verse 8 tells us, if you look at it one more time, not only do we want to meditate on the true and the honorable and the just and the pure and the lovely, but we want to meditate on that which is commendable or praiseworthy. 
And so you think about, like, what would bring praise to God? What would bring praise? What's praiseworthy? What's, what's commendable? What's, what's something that I could be thinking about that is commended by God? What's something that would bring the applause of heaven? What's something that would bring the applause of men on a mere human level that's good? Now, we can't always trust that, but there is something true about having a reputation that's commendable before men. Now, we don't want to be a slave to that because in our culture, sometimes things are not commendable that the culture says is commendable. Sometimes our culture gets it wrong and we need a word about what is truly commendable and God tells us in His Word. And the last two things that we see in these verses here is kind of a summary where Paul says, listen, if anything's excellent, that's, that means virtuous. That's like a summary of all the virtues he just said. If anything's worthy of praise, I want you guys to think deeply about these things. He's telling the Philippians, this is the way to get your soul healthy. This is the way to get your mental faculties and, and the, the garden of your mind as like a beautiful, glorious garden of Eden where you're letting these rich realities just kind of drip into the soil and it's beginning to produce things in your life. And that's what happens when we meditate and we marinate and we think on these things. It begins to shape how we live. And that is point number two. It's not enough to ponder these things, but we've got to put them into practice. So look at verse 9 and see what the Lord has to say to us in verse 9. Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is just saying, listen, what you've heard me teach and how you've seen me live, practice those things. He's, he knows full well that you've got to take what you know and begin to live it out. You've got to take what you've seen modeled and begin to live it out. And now these were times when you didn't have like a Bible and, and, and uh, you know, a Lifeway store. We could go and be like, can I get the NIV, please? Or can I get the ESV? And they just dropped you a cop copy of that off at your you know, home. No, there was scrolls that you had to read God's word. And most of it was an oral culture where they had to take in chunks of the word. But nobody had a full Bible like this. And there was still ongoing revelation happening through the apostles at this juncture. So what's happening is Paul is saying, not only are you to take hold of what you've learned from me, not only are you to take hold what you've received as I received from the Lord Jesus, Paul would remind us that his gospel he got from Jesus. His gospel was passed down from the beautiful one. His gospel was passed down from the Lord Jesus Christ and was revealed to him through Jesus appearing on the road to Damascus, calling him out and then calling him to commission him to be the apostle to the Gentiles to take this message. So he received it too. But there was a need for models because not everybody had access and there still is a need for living out models in the church. 
How much have you learned because you watched somebody more godly than you live the Christian life out? And Paul was an example all through this book. He's setting up examples. Have the mind of Christ. Look to Christ who was humble and yet exalted. Look to Epaphroditus who was willing to almost give his life for the sake of getting this letter to me. Look to Timothy, my true son in the faith, who loves the Word and is a servant of God. And then he says in chapter 3 and verse 17, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Follow my example. So Paul has been commending all along for us to practice these things of what he's teaching and what he's doing in the Christian life. And I want to ask us, is our heart resolved to put into practice God's word as it is read, proclaimed, heralded, modeled? Like, are we leaning in to the word of God? And so often we can treat the Bible or sermons, or songs as more information, or wrote mo going through the motions. And Paul's like, lean in and begin to practice because that's where the action's at because that's when the God of peace will be with you. Lean into it. Come to the Word of God and be like, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I want to live that out. You want me to meditate on these things? I'm going to get that swirling in my soul and I'm going to tend to the garden of my mind. And I'm going to take that which Paul has taught me in the book of Philippians and I'm just going to blaze it on my soul. I'm going to have it on the walls and, and I'm going to have sticky notes and, and three by five cards that remind me of the truths of verses that have stuck out in my soul and I'm going to begin to live them out. I'm not just going to till the garden. I'm actually going to plant things and I'm going to watch the produce come and I'm going to take the harvest and I'm going to begin living the Christian life boldly in this world. And the devil is going to come at that and he's going to militate against that because he loves to traffic in the battleground of Christian living because he wants to stop you at the level of thinking and not get it into the practice. He wants to lie to you and say, just know stuff and that's enough. But it's not enough to know you've got to do. Paul says, practice these things. He doesn't say learn about it. And what, what you know, pianist is going to be like, okay, I know all the music th theory. I know about how to play the piano. I know about how to read the notes, to read the music. But when it comes down to the practice, I do nothing. No, you've got to know and you've got to do. You've got to ponder and practice and watch the God of peace come into your life in profoundly new ways. Transform you into a bold Christian who's living for the Lion of Judah. Who's living for the Prince of Peace in this world. And you're an agent of peace. And maybe you're like, hey, not only, not only do I not know a lot of this book, but I feel like, you know, a little intimidated that I don't know the Bible that well. And here's my encouragement to you. Obey what you know. Obey what you know. Do what you know. 
And when you hear something new, write it down and resolve to do it. Resolve to live that out. And surely we can obey what we know. And then we can create a plan. We're getting towards the new year. Have a plan to read through the Bible in two years, three years. But if you don't have a plan to put this into action, then you're going to be building fences around a garden. You're going to be looking at the soil. You're going to be thinking about the theory of gardening, but you don't plant anything in it and nothing grows. And that's exactly what the Apostle James tells us in his letter in James. He says, but you be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving yourselves. One writer said, I, I, I lament, I lament that there are going to be so many who listen to loads and loads of sermons, who listen to so much Bible truth, who listen to so much teaching, but their hearts were cold and they never did anything about it. And he warned that there are many who hear sermons but it never takes root because they never truly believed or acted upon them. And how many people will be in for a rude awakening on the last day? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. You worker of lawlessness. And what indictment on the church in America might be laid at the door in this very reality. They were hearers, but not doers. Don't let that be over the banner of your life. He was a hearer, but not a doer. She heard a lot, but she did little. Resolve to be one who's not just a hearer, only, but a doer, not deceiving yourself. James says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and per perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And my dear friends, we don't want to be looking into the mirror and forgetting what we saw. We want to be utterly captivated by what we've seen when we look into the mirror of God's word and we're like, ooh, that's off. I got to get after that by the power of the spirit in the grace of God, believing the gospel of God, not thinking, hey, I'm going to earn kudos with God, but I just want to grow in my knowledge of the Lord because I know blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And the closer I get to the Lord and the more I begin to think and do for the glory of God, I know that I've got a promise. I've got a promise swirling in my mind, in my heart, and it directs you right to verse 9 where it says in verse 9, hey, here's the truth. The God of peace will be with you. You have a promise, brothers and sisters, when you begin to let this take root in your soul, that the God of peace will be with you. And all through the scriptures, that is the promise for the people of God. 
God had promised in the cool of the garden that He would be with Adam. And He walked with him in the cool of the garden. God had promised Joshua, don't be afraid when you go to take the land of Canaan because I'm going to be with you. Be of good courage. Do not fear. I'll be with you. And what is the promise of the long-awaited Messiah? But you shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what does the Great Commission tell us after it says, go and make disciples of the nations and baptize them, teaching everything that I've commanded you? And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. That is the promise of the God of peace over your life when you begin to think and do for the glory of God. And oh, let that, let that rescue us from lukewarm living. Let that rescue us from being asleep. Let that rescue us from apathy. Spiritual apathy. Spiritual dullness. Let us wake us up to this glory, this promise, this hope that was meant for you. It was meant for you. It was meant for you to experience and know and savor and love. And at Christmas, we celebrate these glories because it's God with us when Jesus came down, born in a manger, to rescue sinners, to bring them into a redemptive relationship with the living God. And you can taste it. And you can know it. And you can savor it when you begin to sing and savor and meditate on what is good and beautiful and right and true and holy and lovely and amazing. And will you savor it? And will you live it? Will you practice these things that Paul has said? Will you live these things out? Will you let Philippians change your life and revolutionize your soul? Oh, this is glorious truth. This is life-giving truth. And you might think, hey, Brother Peter, you're getting a little excited. You're getting a little bit. This is, this is a level. But listen, this is God's will for your life. And if you don't know the Prince of Peace, if you don't know the God who is peace, if you don't know the God who is hope, the God who will rescue those who have no peace with God, then I would beg you to heed the beauty of Romans 5.1. Since therefore we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You want to know how to have peace with God? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You admit your sins. You admit you've been at war with Him. You admit you've been living your own way. You admit you've been doing your own thing. Your mind is defiled. Your heart is corrupt. You're separated from Him. You're not thinking and doing. You're not living the ways of God. You're at enmity with Him. And so come to Him and get help today. Come to the Lord in faith. And watch Him change your heart and your soul and make you totally new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for Your help today. For those of us who just needed to be stabbed awake to the beauty of thinking and doing and the hope that the God of peace will be with us. That You would help us to live the Christian life 
meditating on what you call us to, and then beginning to live it out, tilling the garden of our souls and watching the produce come in glorious ways. And I pray for those who may be in here who realize maybe today that they are enemies of God. Their, their souls are not right with you. They've, they're far off from you. They're without hope in this world. They're feeling disconnected. They're feeling defiled. They're feeling their mind is warped and they need the cleanliness of God in their souls. They need to know that Jesus came to die, to cleanse sinners, to make them new, to bring them into your family. And I pray, Father, that those who are there out here like that, Lord, may they come, may they admit their need, and may they say, Lord, right now, please save me. Please make me new. We thank you. We pray your spirit would blow these truths into our souls and help us to live them out. In Jesus' name, amen.